not only in that uh, this word is true and it has an impact on our life, but God, that it would come alive in us as we receive it in our hearts. And Lord, that we would have uh, both the desire and the empowerment of your spirit to put it into practice what we hear. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, our passage today is about service, and I titled it Sacrificial Gifting. Uh, you know, I'm very attuned to the phrase sacrificial giving, and actually, as I, I, I told Beth, as I tried to write out the title, both in handwriting and typing, I kept writing sacrificial giving, and it's like, no, sacrificial giving, gifting, I did it again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little twist of a phrase, but, you know, what I want to kind of highlight today is that I think a lot of times uh, we think about sacrificial giving in terms of, of finances and in terms of, of uh, resources that we give and often thinking about giving to the church. But God is inviting us to something deeper and greater than simply uh, a check or, or some dollars or, or even resources to, to a local church. God is calling us, in a sense, to give our whole selves to the body of Christ in service uh, as our opportunity to respond to who Christ is. If you remember last week, we looked at uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Paul says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what we talked about last week with that was this idea that, that there is a way of the world, there's a way the world thinks, the way the world operates, the way the world rewards and punishes, and all of the things that, that happen in our culture and our society, and in every culture and every society on the planet. And then there's the way of Christ. There's the way that God thinks, the way God operates, the way God rewards and punishes even, uh, and that it's not like the world on the basis of all our efforts and striving, that God uh, blesses you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you have done. That, that Paul even says in this book of Romans that uh, uh, it, the more you try to work for your salvation, uh, in a sense, the less deserving of it you are because grace is given to those who do not work. Remember Romans 4. Who are wicked, but who trust God. Right, who trusts Jesus. And he gives examples from the Old Testament. Uh, and, he just, and he just develops this whole theme that it's all about God. And so I kind of gave out an encouragement and a warning last week that whatever we talk about next, because Paul shifts from kind of the theology, the esoteric, the abstract, to the practical, the day-to-day, that whatever happens when we make this switch over, to not set aside what Paul has taught us and the Holy Spirit has taught us, about how we gain acceptance with God, but to bring it into the calling of the practical in the day-to-day. So what is so often I see happen, and I've done it myself many times, Lord, it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you, and then God says something like, um, be joyful in all situations. And I think, okay, I have, to ma- I have to manufacture joy. Or, God, it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you. And he says, be kind to one another. And I think, okay, I need, to, I need to restrain myself so that I can be kind to the people around me. And it's like I forget all about the things that God intended to be the source of power for living this out, and I just go back to doing it on my own. So that's the warning, but the encouragement is to let this work of grace be the catalyst, the catapult, and, and, the, and the, the power by which you live out these practical things God calls you to. So Paul goes on in Romans 12. We're going to be in verse 3 through 8. If you have your Bibles, please pull it out and open up to Romans 12. In verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, 
then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I don't know if you've been reading along or reading ahead, or hopefully you've read Romans before. Hopefully you're not scared off by the the challenge of the book. Uh, But I know in my life, in the past, I think I got to Romans 12. I kind of saw, okay, I see how this fits with that and this fits with that. And then it seems like in Romans 12, Paul makes this claim about living a life that's transformed to be like Jesus. And then he just gives this hodgepodge of commands and requirements and rules. And I don't, I'm not sure that I previously kind of saw how they were all connected. Does it feel a little disjointed to you to talk about having a renewed mind? And then Paul says, oh, and by the way, make sure you use your spiritual gifts. Make sure you use your spiritual gifts in the church because you're one part of a body. But I think what Paul is doing here is he's telling the church, he says, let me give you an example of what it looks like to have a transformed mind. Let me show you what a renewed mind looks like in practice. Because it's so esoteric or so abstract to think about having a new mind. I think for most of us, when we think about having a new mind, what we often think about is having new ideas, right? We think, oh, we need new ideas. We need to, we need to have the ideas that Christ has. But what Paul does in you know, good Jewish fashion uh, is that he brings the sermon down to a very practical and, and tangible reality. So he, you know, like, like any good preacher, like when it's done well, you talk about this abstract thing and then you give illustrations and you give examples and then you help us, he helps us to put this into practice because here's the reality. The mind of Christ is not the mind of Christ until it's enacted. Jesus was not just a teacher who shared big ideas. He was a teacher who put big ideas into practice at the expense of his own life. He lived out the grace that he taught. He lived out the kingdom of God that he shared with the people. And so Paul is saying to us, and by extension the Holy Spirit is saying to us, if you want to have the mind of Christ, then you need to live out these things in the flesh, in the real world, so to speak. And so the very first thing he says, if you want to have the mind of Christ, then you need to remember that Christ did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Do you remember the story of Jesus? The night before he died, he goes up to that that upper room, the Last Supper, and he gathers his disciples around and he starts to wash their feet. And some of them object. Peter says, no, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And that's when he gives that famous phrase. I did not, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus equates service with the giving of your life. And so Paul, who says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, equates service with the giving of your life. It's the same message. One in the abstract through Paul, who's this you know, brilliant thinker, And Jesus, who's also a brilliant thinker, but he enacts it. He puts it into practice. He shows us what it looks like to have a renewed mind, to live as a sacrifice to God. Remember we said that to be holy means to be set apart for the worship and service of God. So God says, you want to worship me? You want to serve me? Yes, come and sing, but also serve one another. And Paul talks about this idea of kind of not having the wrong thinking, uh, not having, you know, he's talked about having a renewed mind. He says, don't have the wrong thinking. So in verse 3, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That think of yourself more highly than you ought in Greek is one word. One word. Uh, it's, uh, I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it, but it's, it's huperfronein, which you don't have to remember that. But huper is where we get the word hyper. And it's kind of like you're hyper-thinking. You're thinking, you're thinking that you're this magnificent, wonderful, incredible uh, gift to the church, right? Uh, you know, well, of course, of course I'm going to give my gifts to the church because I have so many. 
Or you might be thinking, uh, you know, I, I am, I'm so blessed by God and God has made me, so, I'm so beautifully and wonderfully made, right? Fearfully and wonderfully made that of course I've got so much to give. And I know that's not everyone in this room, but some of us lean that direction, don't we? I say we because I know I struggle sometimes and I struggle with pride. I, I think, you know, and, and oftentimes we gloss it spiritually. God has done such a good work in me. We don't say that, right? Nobody says that. You, it, we're, 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 uh, we're alert enough to the social dynamics that we don't say, God has made me so incredibly well. But in the back of our mind, we're thinking, yeah, I've, I've got a lot to offer. And Paul's like, look, you've got to get this straight. You've got, you've got a hyper-thinking going on. You're thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought. Because to think that way betrays the fact that you're not really glorying in what God has gifted, but you're glorying in yourself and what, where the gifting can be displayed through you. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That sober judgment is also one Greek word. It's, it's, it's called sophronane, right? It's, it's, they both have that phronane in there, and it, it means safe thinking in its root etymologically, safe thinking. Think of yourself carefully. Think of yourself soberly. Have an appropriate attitude about your own self. This kind of cuts both ways because would it be safe to say, I'm nothing, I don't have any gifts, I don't have anything to offer? Is that safe to say? Because... Who, who are you really downing? Are you downing yourself or are you downing the gift giver? It's not very safe to down the gift giver, <laughs> right? And again, he says, have this, have this appropriate sober-mindedness about you so that you understand both that you're not greater than you really are, but also that you're not lesser than you really are. I actually looked up um, humility in the Oxford Dictionary. Because I was really curious, because sometimes you'll kind of like say, oh, you know, the Bible's view of humility is this, and the world's view of humility is that. And I was like, well, what, what, what is it, you know, what does the world really think of humility? And so I looked up humility, and it said a modest or low view of one's own importance. But I suggest to you that the biblical view of humility is not that at all. The biblical view of humility is not that you are low, but it's that you are in the right you're kind of right-sized in the right space that you understand your appropriate position in Christ. You know, in the book of James, James says, uh, you know, the rich should glory in their understanding that they're poor in Christ. And the poor should glory in their understanding that they're rich in Christ. And in Mary's song, when, when the angel Gabriel comes to her and tells her she's going to have a son, she says Jesus is going to bring the high down and he's going to raise the low up. You see, the gospel of grace is constantly reorganizing our understanding of the hierarchies in the world. It's constantly helping us to see that when we think we're great, we're lowly. When we think we're lowly, we're great. That there is a reality in Christ that is, it's not connected to how great you think you are on the outside. It's defined entirely by who God is and what he's done in you. But it doesn't mean that we're all in the same level in the way Paul's talking about. It's interesting. So Paul actually is saying, your job as a believer is to discern what is the measure that God has given you and the measure that he's given to you, give it to others. So he says, first be right-minded, have safe thinking, be, have sober judgment. Don't have an inflated view. Don't have a deflated view. But kind of figure out that in Christ, uh, your value is determined, again, by him and what he's done in you. But then to also to be humble, to have the mind of Christ, is to then use what God has given you for the benefit of others. So Paul begins by saying, by the grace given me. By the grace given me, I'm telling you what you ought to do. Why? Because the gift that God gave Paul is the gift of apostleship. 
It's the gift of insight into the mysteries of Christ. It's the gift of, of the power of the Holy Spirit to inspire him to write these words that are the very words of God. So Paul doesn't think of himself as a nothing. But in his authority, he doesn't lord it over others. Right? We talked last week that Paul doesn't say, I command you to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. He says, I urge you. He, he comes in with an appeal, even though he has the right to command. He comes in with an appeal because he doesn't want to use the power that he has to lord it over others. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, hey, when I come, I hope I don't have to use my authority. So I'm writing to you in hopes that you will correct yourselves before I get there. Because you've only seen me as small, but I can come big. Right? And this is the kind of thing, like understanding the dynamics of, of where you fit in God's, God's kind of economy, God's plan, God's hierarchy. One of the things about the church that we see is that there is a hierarchy in the church. But the hierarchy is, in a sense, flattened to a degree, and it's also inverted. So Jesus says, those who will be in authority will serve everyone. He's not saying there's no authority, but the ones who are in authority will serve. And then there are so many more people who get to serve because he gives his gifts prodigiously. He gives his gifts uh, without reservation to all. So every one of you here, God has given a gift, and then the adventure that's in front of you is to discern what is the gift, to what measure do I have it, and how will I put it into the service of God as a holy sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. So here Paul is. He says, this is what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is what it means to be renewed in your mind. It's to have this kind of... This kind of um, uh, approach to life that you're, you're going to uh, be giving of your gifts to others. And then he starts to list these gifts. And, but before he does it, he talks about this body, this body with many members. And if you've been around church, you probably know the, the analogy, the metaphor. It's that, look, the human body has all these parts, and you really wouldn't want to live without any of them, Right? Ideally, you don't want to live without any of them. Now, people do. People can. People thrive without some parts of their body. But then think something needs to compensate for the other, right? So uh, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, the eye doesn't say to the hand, I don't need you. The mouth doesn't say, I don't need you. Uh, you know, and it's kind of self-evident. Like, for example, uh, you need to eat to live, right? So you need a mouth. But how do you get the mouth? How do you get the food in your mouth? You need a hand, right? That kind of thing. Uh, and so uh, everything works in concert together. And it's still one body, even though all the parts are different. And Paul even goes on to say in other passages that it is the body of Christ himself. That we are the body of Christ as we come differently with different giftings into this cohesive unit to serve the Lord. But Paul says one of the primary ways you do that is by serving one another. And giving of your gifts. So he, he lists these gifts. Um, and in fact, in the Bible, there are multiple lists of these gifts. Uh, so for example, there's the one right here in Romans 12. There's a listing in 1 Corinthians 12. And there's two different places there where there's some lists of gifts. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, where it says God gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers for the building up of the church for the work of the ministry. And there's 1 Peter 4. Uh, there's two gifts mentioned there, and we're going to look at those in a second. But because there's four different lists, and because none of these lists have the exact same number or the exact same list of gifts, it suggests to us that none of these lists are exhaustive. There might be other gifts that God is giving uh, that he intends for us to use in the church. So it's not just the list that we're about to look at. In a moment, we'll look. I just took all the different sections of Scripture that talk about this, and I made one list. But I don't know if that's all of them. I don't know if there are others. But we are going to go through them, and we're going to go through them kind of quick because uh, I don't really want... This isn't really a sermon about spiritual gifts, in a sense. The sermon really is about Paul's idea of being transformed 
by the renewing of your mind such that you live the way Jesus did by sacrificially living for the benefit of others. Because when we look at this list in a moment, you know, again, if you've been around the church, you're like, oh, these are the spiritual gifts. Yeah, we know what these are. But a lot of these things, we can find that we, we use often to our own benefit more than the benefit of others. And so what does it look like actually on the ground to live this way of Jesus? Now, I know these are small. Can you see them? Can you read them? No? All right. For those who can, but I'm going to read them out. Um, these are giftings that, Paul has given, that, that God has given the church. And so one of the things that I want to talk about right off the bat is that we think some of these things are offices when the Bible describes them as gifts. So, for example, um, a lot of you guys, when you refer to me, you call me your pastor. And so the idea is that I hold this position of pastor, right? Um, but in actuality, most technically, the position I hold in church is an elder, but I function out of the gift of pastoring. And so when we see apostle, uh, there's not an e- I could have written apostleship, uh, but there's not an easy way to think about uh, apostle kind of in a verb form. But, but instead of prophet, I put prophecy. And a lot of the lists say prophecy. Ephesians 4, it says prophet, but prophecy is one of the gifts evangelism, pastoring, teaching, right? These are not necessarily offices in the church as much as they are giftings, blessings that God has given the church for our own edification, for our own building up, for our own equipping so that we can live out this calling that Jesus has given us. And so I would suggest to you that, uh, you know, we have people in this church who don't hold an office but who are pastors, I mean, Tony pastored us today, uh, and he's done it many times, but he's not a pastor in the church. Uh, Sonia pastors in this church. Beth pastors in this church. Ed pastors in this church. Paul pastors in this church. These people don't have titles, but these are, you know, they're people who, they, they want to help shepherd the body, and they give of their time, talent, gifts to shepherd the body. They function as pastors. Apostles, you know, uh, I, we've talked a lot about him recently, but I think of Roberto, who he would never take the title apostle because there's so much uh, that's attached to that in so many people's minds that he didn't want to have anything to do with. But he was a guy who started things and had a ministry beyond his church, and he helped uh, mentor other pastors across the city. He was someone who functioned in an apostolic way as one uh, sent by God who who not because of his title, but because of God's work in him, because of the gifting he had. He had authority in the lives of the people around him. They would listen to him and submit to him, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. You think about evangelism, this gift. You know, Tony, my goodness, Tony's handing out Bibles all over the place, and he's sharing the gospel with people, and they come to faith. I've shared the gospel with people in the last two years and not one of them have come to faith. And it's, I don't think it's because I'm doing it wrong and I don't think it's because God's withholding a blessing at all. I keep doing it faithfully because it's, it's, uh, it's not only uh, a calling, but it's a, it's a joy that I experience. But it seems like every third person Tony talks to gets saved. And I'm like, what in the world are you even doing over there? And, you know, I hate to say it, but it's like he's just showing up being happy and handing out Bibles and talking about Jesus, and he just has this way. And I don't want to try to copy him because that's not what I'm supposed to do, but I can take joy in what he's doing. And there's others of you who have that. Howard's not here. Howard has that gift. He loves to just talk to people about Jesus everywhere he goes. And then prophecy. You know, we might think about uh, I mean, I don't know what everyone in here thinks about prophets, but what I know is that God is still speaking, and I've witnessed God speak through others. And, you know, some people seem to be very attuned to the voice of God, and others seem not to be. And I think part of it is just God has built those folks in a way that they've got that ear listening all the time, and it's not that we can't all do it. 
Again, I don't think I have a gift of evangelism, but I still do evangelism. You know, I think we can, we can kind of learn and grow and expand our capacities in these gifts, even if it's not our, you know, our gift. But let me just go through this list real quick. So there's apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, teaching, serving, encouragement. I know some people who are very encouraging. You know, you, you, can't, you can't be with them more than two minutes before they're making you smile and feel better about your day. Uh, giving, I think giving primarily is a reference to financial kind of giving people who are just gifted by God to be able to give financially to the church. Leadership, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, discerning spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps and administration. It's a quite varied list. And again, I think there's probably more. So the question is, how do you use these gifts that God has given you? I, I believe everyone has been given a gift or more than one. Because I believe in God's word, he says that he distributes these gifts to the body. And every body has the gifts that it needs, but only when we work cooperatively. If we don't work cooperatively, then we struggle. Uh, we, we will spin our wheels as a community. And so, you know, it's one thing to think, and, and so many of you do, and I love it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be an usher. I'll teach Sunday school. Uh, I, will, I will, you know, help in the AV. Great, fantastic, wonderful. But these are job descriptions. How does the gifting flow into those job descriptions? So uh, Mike has been incredibly busy the last I mean, last while, right? And it's been hard for you. You've had to work a lot of weekends. But then he's free on Sunday. And what does he come? He comes and he volunteers again on the usher team. And when you walk in, he gives you the biggest smile. Did anyone get a big smile from Mike this morning? And he's at the door. Like, I'm, I'm like, oh, it's so great to see you at church. And he's like, I'm so glad you're at church. <laughs> you know? And he hasn't even been able to be here, for, legitimately has not been able to be here for a while. And is it, it's like you've been back maybe twice in the last long while, but you're here at the door greeting people because he wants to use this gift, this gift of encouragement, exhortation. I, I would say even, even a gift in a sense of, of um, um, it's kind of like a gift of mercy in a sense. Like he just receives you and there's so much joy in it. And it's just a simple example, like, you know, uh, you're an usher or you're a greeter, but really what you are is you're just, you're saying, how can I intentionally give this gift to others that I have from the Lord? And I think, I think Mike has a gift of joy. I don't know, it's not on the list, but I think he has a gift of joy and he spreads it around. He's one of those people. You know, and I could look around this room at the things uh, that, that you guys do. And you may think, oh, it's just a job. It's like, no, it's not just a job. It's not just a job. And it's obvious to say, oh, well, if I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher, I need the gift of teaching. Uh, it's, I'm not, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's possible that there's some Sunday school teachers here who don't have the gift of teaching. But you have a love for those kids, and you have faith to believe that God can get you through it, and then you share that faith with those children so they can see it in action right there in front of them, week in and week out. Uh, yeah, it's great to have a gift of teaching if you're going to be teaching, right? But again, you don't have to have the gift of something to do something. It just makes it easier. But then use the gift you have and put it to service any way you can. You know, our Sunday school teachers are pastors. They're pastoring those little kids. You know, and my kids are older now, but they have relationships with those of you in this room that spent time with them week in and week out that they will benefit from and cherish for the rest of their lives. I still remember my Sunday school teachers. You know, and the impact that they had on my lives, on my life. And I'm talking as a little kid all the way up. You know, I remember the people who poured into me. It's no small thing. You're not just filling a role. You're not just uh, filling a spot. So the question that we might ask ourselves is, how is it that God, 
has allowed me to use my gifts. And, and, and we're going to start in this body. Paul's understanding of the church is that it is global. It is across space and time. But it, again, it's, it never stays in the abstract. It's always manifest in this local reality. It's, it, yes, you are brothers and sisters with, with the people, you know, in the churches of, of you know, Myanmar. They're, they're there. But you don't get to hug them on Sunday morning. You don't see them smiling at you when you walk into a room. These are the people that you see. These are the people who put their arm around you, shake your hand. These are the people that can say, hey, you look like you're struggling. What do you need? These are the people that can say, I'm struggling. Can you help me? It's always manifest. It's always, uh, it's always lived out in a, in a local, tangible, physical space and place with specific people. So you might ask, Lord, how have you allowed me to use my gifts so far? Lord, in what way might you be calling me to use my gifts differently? And as you do that, the fear will creep in because you think, I don't have any more time. I don't have any more energy. I don't have any more of this. I don't have any more of that. And there is a reality that there, there is, is kind of like a, you, you have your limits. But I want to encourage you that as that fear creeps in, that you remind yourself and you call out to the Lord and you say, I know you're not asking me to do this. I know that you're saying you want to do this through me. And guys, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. I was talking with Sonia yesterday. I think it was yesterday. We were on a walk. And um, actually thinking about uh, the message that I'm going to bring in two weeks at Line of Judah. But, you know, there's a, there's a relevant piece of it here. And just this idea that, uh, I know I mentioned it recently, but when Jesus says, uh, my, my uh, yoke is easy and my burden is light, first of all, he doesn't just mean that everything's going to be easy. Because he's, he's writing to a people who lived, uh, uh, most of them, in like subsistence farming, abject poverty. Unless you were a king, you were poor. Okay? Until, until the Industrial Revolution, 99.9999% of the people on the planet lived in essentially abject poverty. So he's not saying your life's going to be easy, but he's saying your walk of faith will not, be, uh, will not be a stumbling block for you in the sense that it'll be too demanding of you. But if you're experiencing your faith, that walking out your faith is too demanding, I suggest to you it's not the yoke of Christ. Because you're probably trying to do it you're try, probably trying to muster yourself up to it. But whether it's Jesus in the Gospels or Paul in the book of Romans, he's saying, no, no, you don't muster yourself up to it. You surrender yourself into it. That God is going to work through you. And, and really, oftentimes, the problem is we've got all, we've got all the pipes plugged, <laughs> right? And, and we open up those pipes, we, you know... And then, and then the, the Spirit can flow through. And the Spirit is called a river. Rivers are used to, as an analogy for the Spirit or metaphor for the Spirit in Scripture. Like the water can flow through. And it doesn't flow through uh, to stopping you. It flows through to go out to others. And you might be feeling like, well, I don't feel like the Spirit's flowing in me. How can I serve? And I say, well, you're not serving. How can He flow? But again, not to like, oh, you're not trying hard enough. It, it's subtle, but it's everything. It's everything. It's like, how do I get out of the way more? Instead of how do I try harder? And so it can look like, for example, and, um, you know, I'm not going to, I can't speak to the, to, the, to the quality outcome of this. But I know when I first started preaching, I would stay up sometimes till 2, 3 in the morning on a Saturday night trying to get this thing done. And I'd wake up Sunday at maybe like 5, 6 o'clock and keep working, preparing. Got to have everything right. And I got to say, I've come to a place, and it's not just because experience and age. I mean, it is, but it's not just because I've gotten better at it. Uh, you can be the judge. I don't want to assume anything. Right? I mean, you're sitting here submitted to this sermon, so I don't want to assume anything. But what I'm saying is, uh, the process has gotten easier because I feel 
very much more that I can trust God to give me what I need and give you what you need. And part of what did that for me is I would come here and I would preach my best sermon, my best sermon of the whole year, and nobody would say anything. And I would come here and I'd preach a horrible sermon and like, Pastor, you have no idea how great that, that, and people would tell me, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. I'm like, that sermon was horrible. But God used it. God knew. And I want to suggest to you that, that you can go through life. I'm going to say something kind of weird here. You can go through life doing horribly, horrible quality things that God uses for his glory in powerful, powerful ways. And I suggest to you that the only reason that you don't think you're doing that already is that you haven't seen what heavenly quality is like. If you were against an angel doing the things that you do, it would be so obvious that your work, pardon the phrase, sucks in comparison. You would see how different it is that you'd finally, you'd finally come to realize what Paul's saying here. Do not have hyper-thinking of yourself. You'd finally realize, oh, the work that I've been striving for wasn't really that great after all. And in fact, the only reason it was effective was that the Holy Spirit was using it. And it takes a big burden off, doesn't it? So I don't want to be irresponsible with the Word of God, but I also, if I'm tired and it's Saturday night, and I, like I'd, I'm better off getting sleep than spending three more hours on this. And, not, not, and again, not because I'm good at it. Again, you be the judge. I'm not, I'm not assuming. <laughs> but because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it worth anything anyway. And it's the same with prophecy. It's the same with giving. It's the same with mercy. It's the same with administration. Sometimes we think there's these miraculous gifts and then there's these regular gifts. No. If God is using your, your uh, time to help an administration of something for the body of Christ, I'm telling you, you could be the best administrator at your job. But if it's going to have a powerful impact on the kingdom, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit made it so, not because you are really good at it. And, and of course, I'm not saying do it poorly on purpose. But know that the Lord is in charge. Know that the Lord has got it in control, under control. Now, the question may arise, well, then why don't we use our gifts more? Why don't we just let them flow? So I think there's a few reasons. One of them is I think sometimes we're afraid. And I think fear can look like a, it can come out a couple of different ways. One of the fears looks like this, and, you know, can you relate? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do this for the Lord. I, I can't do it at all. Uh, and, and, yeah, it, and it might actually be one of the things I do better than other things, but I don't do it as well as so-and-so and such-and-such. So I'm just going to hang back in the background. I'm just going to keep a low profile I'm just going to show up on Sunday and then go home because I don't really have anything to give. First of all, couldn't be further from the truth. And second of all, God's the one who gave you the gift. He knows what you need to do what he's called you to do. And so faith is the only way to overcome that fear. Faith is the only way to trust that the Lord knows what he's doing. You know, it, it manifests in all sorts of situations, but I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and they give me some reason why, oh, well, I, I'm not going to do the thing the Bible says, and they tell me why, right? And it could be, you know, I'm not going to serve because of this. Uh, God, you know, you don't understand my circumstances. And, and they, you, it's the time, it's the ability, it's the fear, it's the shyness, it's the whatever, right? Or it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to obey that commandment in Scripture because my life circumstances are X, Y, and Z. And, and I just, inwardly, a little bit of a chuckle. Because I'm thinking, do you really think God didn't know what your life was going to be like when he wrote this? 
do you think you're so unique that he, God was like, well, I'm going to give one rule to everyone except for you. You know, and you don't say that unless you really have a close relationship with a person. Don't say that. But hey, it's kind of what the implication would be. Uh, God, you know, I know you want, I know you, uh, to have the mind of Christ and to be a living sacrifice, that's what we're called to do. And I know that you're saying to use my gift to the degree that you've given it to me. But I don't know if you're aware that, um, you know, I work a really busy job. You didn't see that one coming, I'm sure. Right? So I'm off the hook, right? And I just think the Lord's up there, you know, my dear, dear, dear child. No. I love you, and no, you're not off the hook. And not because I'm going to punish you if you don't do it, not because I'm going to hate you if you don't do it, but because I actually do know what's best for you, and this is what's best for you. Another reason, one of the reasons uh, for the Romans that they weren't using their gifts for one another, and here's actually a really interesting point. I think in the Roman church, and you definitely see this uh, in Corinth as well, they were using their gifts for one another, but not for every one another. Because there's conflict in the church, and they, desp- they despise one another to a degree. So one group's like, oh yeah, we'll use our gifts here with each other, but we're not going to use it for that group. And, and I'm really glad to say, as far as I can discern, I don't see divisions like that in our church. But, but, uh, there might be people that you think, well, I'm, I'm not going to display my gift of mercy to that person. Because, Pastor, you don't know what they did. You don't know, how, you don't know what they said about me. And I think, oh, yeah, God probably didn't think of that when he wrote this. Right? So, yeah, you're off the hook. No problem. Or, or you know, I'll serve, but I'm not going to serve with such and such. There's no room for that in the body of Christ. You know what there is room for? Repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace. Everything that Paul's talking about here, right? If God had grace with me, then I have to have grace with you. There's no other option. And again, not in such a way that God's like, oh, now I hate you. Now I hate you because you're not being gracious to others. But he's like, you, you don't even know what you're missing out on. There's all this freedom for you and you've trapped yourself in a cage of resentment or, or, or unforgiveness or whatever. I think sometimes we don't use our gifts because we actually, not that we're afraid, not that we're angry or bitter or have divisiveness, but sometimes we don't use our gifts uh, literally because we're not even alert that we have them and that we can use them. So, you now know. You may not know what they are, and that's what the body of Christ is for. We can help you. But one of the ways that you find out what your gifts are is that you begin to serve, and you see what kind of flows out as you're serving. And it is totally okay. I just want to say this from like a church, fellowship, Bible church perspective. It is okay to volunteer for something and realize it was the wrong place for you, and then say, you know, actually, I think I should be doing this other thing instead. That's fine. Everyone's allowed mistakes. Everyone's allowed to explore. This is just an adventure we're going on together, and we can figure this out. But what happens is when you start serving somewhere, people around you can see what it is that you do and how you show up. And they can say, oh, you know what? I never knew this about you. But yeah, I know that you're, um, I know that you're serving in AV. I know that you're like, you know, making the, the, the YouTube video work. But what I've really noticed about you is that you're a real encouragement to the people around you. Well, that doesn't mean you have to change anything. It's just keep using your gifting where you serve. Because some of this stuff, some of the things that need to be done are not complicated. Right? Some of it's not complicated. It's not hard. You just need someone who's willing. But then as you serve, show up in your gifting. Show up in your gifts. And he says, you know, do it to the degree of faith you've been given. By the way, the, the word for, for uh, gift in this passage is charisma and the word for grace is charis Paul says 
for by the charis given me, I say to you, use your charismas. So in a sense, Paul is acting out of his own gifting to call us into using our gifting. And so if a grace is a, you know, charis, is the root of our gifting, charisma, then it alerts us to the fact that these giftings are graces of God. They really, it's not about how great you are. It's about how great God is. And so when you use your gift, you're just putting God's greatness on display and nothing else. Nothing else. You know, a lot of times we want to use these things for ourselves. And Paul says, use them for others. Now, you may have heard this. I've talked about it before. But you know the old story of, of hell. Hell is like a big feast, a table full of food and drink and wonderful uh, treats and desserts and everything. And all these people are around the table. And they've all got these really long spoons. And so they're all scooping up this beautiful food and trying to get it into their mouths. But they can't because the spoon's too long. And, of course, no one thinks to just go like that. And, you know, but, like, it's too long. They can't get the food in their mouth. He says, that's hell. Heaven is like a beautiful banquet with wonderful food, all these treats and desserts and drinks, and these people at the table with really long spoons, and they're all dipping their food into this wonder, a spoon into this wonderful food, and they're all feeding one another. I think one of the reasons we don't use our gifts is we feel like, I'm going to run out of resource. But if we're all using our gifts, then we'll all be resourced as we resource others. And so there's, it's actually, it's not just stinginess. It's not selfishness per se. It can be. But I think it's really lack of faith. Lack of faith that if I pour myself out, then someone else is going to pour into me. And then ultimately, lack of faith that God is going to use the body of Christ to be what it's called to be. And so here's the thing. If you're on the side thinking, I'm not going to use my gifts, you've got someone else who's pouring themselves out on the promise that God is going to pour into them through you. But because you're holding back, now they're going to fail. They're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be worn out. And this isn't a guilt trip. It's just reality. This is what happens. When we're not all using our gifts, then the people who are using them do get burnt out because that's not the way God called them to serve. God called us to serve in such a way that as we fill others, then others fill us in return. That's the body with many parts. That's the body of Christ. That's the hand feeding the mouth so the food can get to the stomach so then the energy can be dispersed through our, our uh, uh, you know, blood, the bloodstream, right? Is this right? Am I saying it right? <laughs> so that you have power and energy for your cells and muscles and all the other, like this is, it's all interrelated. And if one part stops doing its job, the whole thing shuts down. Paul says, don't be like that. Not because you'll be in trouble if you do it, but don't do it because that's not the way to life for you or anyone else. Jesus lived that kind of life. And we don't think about it because he's, he's God, right? But Jesus lived in such a way that he was pouring out, but others were pouring into him. First, his Father, via the Holy Spirit, but also other people giving him money so that he can do the ministry, uh, tending to things so that he can travel and do the things he's called to do. Uh, you know, when, when Jesus broke the loaves and fishes, someone served the meal, right? The disciples were out, and uh, probably other people because they collected, you know, tons of food afterwards. So, you, you know, it's like, we, we forget sometimes this is how Jesus operated. So it's going to be sacrificial because Jesus sacrificed himself. This kind of giving will hurt a little at times because you're giving things that you don't think you can afford to give. And I don't, I'm not talking about money. You're going to give things you don't think you can afford to give. You think it's going to be too much. Uh, and this is, you know, discernment is huge here. I'm not asking you to give too much but it's, you're probably going to give more than you think you should. But it won't be more than you should. It's got to be given graciously, meaning with a joyful heart, 
without bitterness towards the people who receive it. And also, by graciously, I mean uh, with the level of abundance. And know that the result is that it will bring benefit to others, but also benefit to you. Because that's how God works. Benefit to others, but also benefit to you. So I just say today, this is just one of the ways. We're going to look at some more in the coming weeks. This is one of the ways that we live in conformity to Christ. And when I say live in conformity to Christ, I mean have that renewed mind, Romans 12, 2, 1, 12, 2, and then to be conformed in the image of His Son, Romans 8, 29. This is what it's about. This is how it looks on the ground. One example. Not being conformed to the world. One of the ways we do that is to use our gifts for the benefit of others. Amen? All right, as we make this time of transition, I want to pray for you, but I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect and ask the Lord, Lord, what gift have you placed in me that I'm not aware of? Or which of the gifts that I'm aware of do you want me to use? And how do you want me to use them? Does that make sense? Ask the Lord, what is it that I'm not alert to How have you gifted me? But also, Lord, how do you want me to use my gifts that I'm not doing so now? Well, Lord, we do thank you and we praise you and we bless you because of this word. And there is a reminder here that we are not really, uh, we're not called to do something that we can't do. We're just called to do what we can. But what we can is based on how you have poured out your grace in our life. And give us a vision and a picture of this this, uh, beautiful body serving one another in such a way that we all experience greater life simply because we're being faithful to this call. Lord, give us an image and a vision of what it looks like to um, have... This, the mind of Christ in such a way that we trust you for all things uh, and, and don't feel the need to, to grasp onto things, but we can release them uh, for your glory, for your service, to honor you, uh, knowing that you'll fill us in return and that we can open up these, these floodgates and let the Spirit move through us in mighty and powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen.